Good evening, Raleigh. It is Tuesday, October 13th, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Langlois, and we thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we've got some information about the presidential race as it heads into its final few days before Election Day. A bit closer to home, homecoming is soon, and Jasmine has some information to fill us in on that later. And torture in America. Yes, we have torture here. Would you believe it? It's true. And just because it's Halloween, Gene has a special spooky weird science for us. There's a terrifying movie I saw recently, but is it worth watching? Stick around. But before all of that, here's Jasmine Shepard with our local forecast. Jasmine? Thanks, Jake. And good evening, Wolfpack. It's no surprise this week will be a chilly one, as we are luckily experiencing just a few minor effects of the Superstorm Sandy. And as of right now, it's around 48 degrees outside with wind speeds around 10 miles per hour. The low tonight is expected to be around 39 degrees, and there is also a 20% chance that we will be experiencing a few showers later on tonight. So make sure you have those umbrellas ready. Tomorrow, the high will be around 58 degrees and the low will be 39 again. So make sure you have your Halloween outfits and make sure they keep you a little warm. Partly cloudy skies are expected along with another 20% chance of rain. Thursday is going to get a little warmer with the high expected to be right around 60 degrees and a low 36. Sunny skies are expected in the forecast, so you should get excited for that. Similar to Thursday, the high on Friday will be around 60 degrees with a low of 36. Only a 10% chance of rain is expected, but that may change. Saturday, the high will be around 60 degrees with a low of 38, and a 0% chance of rain is expected on game day. Sunday, 65 degrees will be the high, and 48 will be the low, which is not too, too cold. 0% chance of rain on Sunday, and sunny skies are in the forecast. With no rain and sunny skies, this will end the weekend off right. And that's all for the weather, and remember to be safe out there, Wolfpack. So, Jasmine, you think that we're done with warm weather for the year? Uh, I think so. I'm no psychic, but I think so. That's probably the most discouraging thing I've heard thus far this week. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. Hurricane Sandy made landfall over New Jersey last night, killing at least 40 people, causing extensive flooding, and leaving over 8 million homes and businesses without power. Cleanup and repair costs are expected to be between 30 and $40 billion. Sandy is currently over Pennsylvania and is expected to make its way north over New York and Lake Ontario towards Canada. The election is one week away, and a WRAL news poll re- released today, found Mitt Romney leading in North Carolina with 50% to President Obama's 45%. In the gubernatorial race, Pat McCrory has a wide lead over Walter Dalton with 53% to 36%. And Disney announced their purchase of Lucasfilm today for $4 billion, as well as the production of a new sequel trilogy to the Star Wars films, with Episode Seven planned for release in 2015. And that's the news. A new Star Wars? I don't know how I feel about that. Three new Star Wars. Three new Star Wars. Yeah, a new trilogy. (laughs) As an avid fan, uh, I would definitely report mixed feelings on that. I mean, it could could be good. It could um, be terrible. I don't... Um, George Lucas has given it his blessing. I guess he's not going to be really involved with these new films, but then again, I don't really know if George Lucas is that big an authority on Star Wars anymore. (laughs) He's given his blessing to a lot of things with the Star Wars logo on it recently, so... I don't know how how well I trust his judgment. Truth, I would advise everyone to go watch the press release. He actually, him and the CEO of Walt Disney go and uh, speak a little bit about the agreement. So, That's pretty interesting. Well, uh, thanks for that, Andrew. And uh, people don't think about it often, and it's rarely in the news, but uh, there is torture here in the United States, and it is a problem. DeAndre has more. Hey, guys, I'm DeAndre Jones, and I'm in the studio currently with Christina Cowger, a professor here at NC State University. But more pertinent to the topic we're talking about now is a representative from NC Stop Torture Now. Christina, what is Stop Torture Now? 
North Carolina Stop Torture Now is a grassroots coalition made up of human rights workers, concerned citizens basically from all over the state. We have members here in the Triangle. We have members in Guilford County, in Wilmington, in Asheville, all across the state. And the reason we came into being was that North Carolina is playing and has played a special role in the U.S. program of extraordinary rendition, which is essentially kidnapping for torture. My next question is, uh, does torture still happen in the world today? Torture still happens in the world today in many countries, and we're most concerned with the use by the United States of torture. Our focus is really on our government, our society. We think that's our responsibility as citizens. And although President Obama declared that the United States would no longer torture the very next day after he came into office, there are reports that indicate that people are still being tortured in U.S. custody in Afghanistan. And I think it's fairly clear that indefinite detention in Guantanamo Bay Detention Center without any hope of release can be considered torture. You mentioned that the United States is playing an active role in this torture. Exactly who in the United States is it? Is it the CIA or the FBI or some other offshoot organization? The best known program by the United States of secret detention and torture began shortly after 9-11. It was initiated under the Bush administration, particularly by Vice President Cheney. And what he called it was working the dark side. What the U.S. essentially did in the latter part of 2001 on up through about 2006 very intensively was sweep up hundreds of Muslim men in Europe, Asia, the Middle East, and whether or not there was specific information linking them to terrorist activity, transport them secretly either to a third country jail, such as in Egypt, Syria, Morocco, Afghanistan, or in the case of so-called high-value detainees where they thought they had a link to al-Qaeda, take them to CIA secret prisons in Eastern Europe. And there, in any of those facilities, these men were held without knowledge of their families, without access to lawyers, with no access to the Red Cross, and without being charged with a crime. And they were interrogated using brutal techniques, waterboarding not being the worst, a lot of kinds of no-touch torture, psychological torture designed to break these people down and really to rob them of their personalities. And they were held indefinitely in these facilities without the knowledge of the world. How does the U.S. choose targets to be tortured, or who exactly is being captured and being affected by these tortures? Dozens of those who were rounded up, and here we're talking almost entirely about Muslim men from many countries of the world. Dozens of them were from Pakistan, and their only crime was to have run afoul of neighbors, acquaintances, who responded then to the U.S. offer of a bounty of a few dozen dollars and turned people in. And then those people were taken to detention facilities. And essentially, the purpose of the secret interrogations with people like that became see what they know, fish for information. There was no particular belief that they had committed a crime. Has the torture even been effective or has it drawn out any information that would be useful for the United States? Of course, members of the Bush administration argue that torture was effective in helping to unravel al-Qaeda. The reality is, though, people who actually know the business of interrogation, such as Matthew Alexander, who was a top U.S. interrogator in Iraq, have written extensively to argue that Actually, torture is ineffective, and it's not the way that we get our best intelligence. 
when Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan, former Bush officials said, well, it was our torture that led us to him. In fact, information that there was a courier who operated for Osama bin Laden came from high-value detainees such as Khalid Sheikh Mohammed who were tortured but not the identity of the courier. The courier's identity was found out through good old-fashioned police work, the use of informants and observation in Pakistan. I know when I was in your seminar, I heard a lot of the question of if there is someone who is a big threat to the United States and we know that they have information, is it all right to torture them? And I know that you refer to it as the taking time bomb situation. Does the situation, is it realistic? Does it actually happen? Is there any justification to torture somebody? The so-called ticking time bomb scenario proposes that if we have a detainee who knows information that could save hundreds or thousands of lives, that we have a duty to torture that information out of him in order to save those people. This scenario in practice never really occurs. Even the so-called high-value detainees, the men who were rounded up by the United States, who certainly were members of al-Qaeda, such as Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, as soon as they were picked up, they stopped having the kind of intelligence that would lead us to further plots by the al-Qaeda network because, of course, al-Qaeda, knowing of their capture, would change its plans. So, in practice, the information that's obtained under torture doesn't really pertain to real-life terror plans, which are immediately altered in order to take into account that someone has been captured. And that information is often riddled with falsehoods and misleading so-called facts that lead the interrogators on wild goose chases. And there's a famous case of a Libyan man, Sheikh al-Libi, who was tortured probably into insanity by U.S. forces and who supplied a lot of information that led the United States on a lot of false paths and did not lead to the capture of any important al-Qaeda operatives. From what you said, it has become clear that a lot of these targets that we have chosen, we as in the U.S., has chosen to be brought in for torture are not high-value targets, are a common person, a common man. And I think that is becoming very clear that it's somewhat of a travesty that the United States is doing something so awful to an everyday human being. So my next question would be, how is your organization getting involved in trying to put a stop to this exactly? That's the big challenge that faces us as Americans. Now that we know that our government has engaged in a systematic program of torture, not just an occasional bad apple act, but uh, really a program designed to round up scores of people and torture them in secret. What can we do to try to deal with that fact? We're involved in a couple of ways. One is torture actually makes America less safe because, as has been acknowledged by even top commanders like General Petraeus of the U.S. military, the use of torture at Abu Ghraib and in Guantanamo has been maybe the number one recruiting tool for al-Qaeda and other terrorist networks. Hundreds and thousands of Muslim people have been so outraged against the United States for treating people in this manner that they have been willing to consider taking extreme actions against the U.S., against our soldiers, against our assets abroad, and against our population. So I think even if we'd prefer that we weren't involved with torture, we actually are because it's making us less safe. What we're trying to do is focus on North Carolina's particular role in this program because a CIA airline based in Smithfield, which is right here just outside the triangle in Johnston County, actually transported many, many of these detainees to secret detention and torture. And that CIA airline continues to operate in Johnston County. It's based at the Johnston County Airport, which is a publicly 
funded airport. For a time, it had a hangar in Kinston, which is also a publicly funded airport. And planes at those two airports were responsible for the flights to torture of dozens of people, including a lot of specific individuals whom we can name and whose cases we're familiar with. So we're we're bringing this information to our state officials as well as to federal and county officials. And we're saying, hey, look, it's time that we as a state acknowledge that we've supported and facilitated, even if we didn't mean to, acts of kidnapping and torture. Only by acknowledging it, by bringing it out into the open and examining it and gathering all the facts, can we really be accountable and recognize the damage that we have done? And only by recognizing that damage can we even begin to try to make amends for it. Thank you, Christina. We definitely appreciate you coming here and allowing our listeners to a new perspective on things in, uh, that are taking place in the world today. As always, if you have any sort of opinions or thoughts on the subject, comments on the Facebook or the Twitter, WKNC underscore EOT. Thank you. And for I Am The Triangle, I'm DeAndre Jones with Christina Calgar in the studio. Homecoming is just around the corner. What can we expect from this yearly tradition? Let's ask Jasmine. Tell your friends it's a Together, NC State's Alumni Association, along with current students, have fought to revive homecoming as the signature event at NC State. A week-full lineup of events is set to complement the annual homecoming football game set to take place on Saturday, November 3rd against the University of Virginia. Every day during the week of October 29th, the tradition of Rare Red Get Fed will be in full effect starting at 11 a.m. in the Brickyard. On Wednesday, October 31st, events such as the Canned Food Drive and the Cupcake War will be held in the Brickyard at 11 a.m. also. At 7 p.m., there will also be Screen on the Green on Harris Field. The highlight event at 7 p.m. on Thursday will be the traditional pep rally and pat cow at the Reynolds Coliseum. Students are really anticipating this day as featuring artists Wale and band Gloriana will be performing. Homecoming events continue with the full day lineup on Friday, November 2nd. A few events include the National Panhellenic Council Homecoming Stroll-Off at 7 p.m. in Carmichael Gymnasium, along with the Hillsborough Street Music Festival at 7 p.m. on Hillsborough Street. NC State's Homecoming Parade will take place at 6 p.m. on Hillsborough Street. On Saturday, students, alumni, and family will rush to fill the stands of the Carter Finley Stadium as Homecoming wraps up with NC State's football game against the University of Virginia Cavaliers. It certainly is a full week ahead for the Wolfpack Nation, with events lined up every day during this week. With homecoming being the biggest event that the Alumni Association hosts, students will not want to miss out on this. Adam Compton once said, Homecoming and traditions are the thread that ties everything back to that NC State fabric. The alumni from years ago can talk about their parade, and we can talk about our parade, and we have that connection. Classes change and campus changes, but traditions are what tie everything together. The sum of all these events that will take place is a tradition that spans generations at NC State. But that being said, this is an event you certainly won't want to miss out on. It's all about the Wolfpack this week, and viewers around the world remember that red means go. For Iron the Triangle, this is Jasmine Shepard. When you come to the red and white, the whole school better drop everything. It's time to get hype. Are you feeling all right? 
Cause in case you ain't know, it's your boy Eddie B Coming with the insane flow, it's never gon' stop This is one school in the host that can't nobody knock And bet no matter what, the crowd just gon' rock And the team covered in red, but never gon' stop Cause they way too hot Got the game on lock and y'all make it crazy We're gonna take a quick break, but stick around, we got more on the way <laughs> But it's cool, cause real talk is the place to be So if you ain't know, just come and see me we are in the final stretch of the 2012 campaign election season, and it is down to a wire-thin margin. Here's Jake with a little more on that, if anything, could tip the race. As the final week before Election Tuesday begins, nobody seems to have any answers as to just who or who may not hold the lead in this year's presidential election. As more and more politicos seem to agree that the House may yet again remain in control of the Republicans, the White House race seems just too close to call. In fact, the word chaos seems apt as a descriptor as any, Charlie Cook of the highly respected Cook Political Report has suggested that for the second time since the 2000 election, the winner of the popular vote might not be the winner of the Electoral College vote. This scenario was, of course, thought to be highly improbable and had been a rare occurrence in American history. And then came the presidential election of 2000, an election still studied as an anomaly, a once-in-a-thousand-year occurrence. The idea that it could possibly happen again, as improbable as it may seem now, is not impossible. If there is one thing this election cycle has proven, it is that there are still plenty of factors that could turn this race at any given moment. Before Denver, there were few that thought that much could hurt the Democratic incumbent in the race. Since his lackluster performance and the Republican candidate's assertive stance in the first debate, the race has tightened considerably, despite two other debates since then. It would be foolish to downplay the possibility that something could, even at this late stage in the race, upset the race in favor of one candidate or the other. One wild card that could have influence might be the recently passed Hurricane Sandy, which is even now continuing to cause problems up and down the eastern seaboard. From New York to North Carolina, millions have been devastated, and the next few days will be crucial for the current incumbent. All eyes will be on the White House to gauge his response to the latest natural disaster to strike the U.S., and the president is acutely aware of this. And they're moving as quickly as they can, as safely as they can. That's really good news. Uh, we understand the president has declared New York and New Jersey disaster areas already. How does that help you? Helps us tremendously. I spoke to the president three times yesterday. Uh, he called me for the last time at midnight last night asking what he could do. I said if he could expedite designating New Jersey as a major disaster uh, area, that that would help us to get federal money and resources in here as quickly as possible. Uh, Is this likely to have an impact on the race? Well, it may be too early to tell, but with Katrina still fresh on the minds of many around the country, a repeat of 2005 would almost certainly spell disaster for the incumbent. Mr. Romney, on the other hand, has had to answer some questions of his own as many have taken a second look at his stances on disaster relief, which include giving more autonomy to the states or to the private sector in times of crisis. Rhetoric or not, it has raised questions about how the challenger would respond to a crisis of this scale. For anyone still undecided this late in the race, there is certainly no shortage of information or advertisements coming from both sides of the aisle. But ultimately, what could decide this race could be out of the hands of either party. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. in a world that is weird, wild, and wonderful. Here's Gene Zernov with this week's Weird Science.
This week in Weird Science, I'm going to switch things up a bit and tribute to the time-honored tradition of Halloween. Instead of talking about scientifically proven facts, today we will learn about the origins of Halloween and the crazy rituals that go with it. The roots of Halloween lie in the pre-Celtic festival of the dead. According to their calendar, the year began on a day corresponding to November 1st on our present calendar. The festival observed at this time was the holiday of Samhain, during which the ghosts of the dead were believed to mingle with the living. Samhain became the Halloween we are familiar with when Christian missionaries attempted to change the religious practices of the Celtic people. Along with this holiday come a lot of rituals and superstitions, and I wanted to discuss these this week to get into the holiday spirit. The Celtic people believe that the veil between the world of the living and that of the dead is at its thinnest on this night. In the ancient past, it was commonly believed that certain kinds of knowledge were available at the time of Samhain, a night when the Cid or the fairy people would come forth to walk amongst the mankind. Samhain was also a time to honor friends and loved ones who have passed on to the afterlife, and customs such as leaving a candle burning in the window to light the way for departed spirits were commonplace. People commonly left plates of food out for their departed loved ones, a practice widespread even in modern Celtic lands today. Wearing costumes on Halloween originated from Samhain, when people were disguised to confuse the wandering spirits of the dead into believing that the people in costume were part of the spirit world and not living mortals. The tradition of Halloween began approximately 2,000 years ago in the Celtic culture, and the initiators of all the rituals were called the Druids, or the pagan priests. Legend has it that the Druids are history's kings of the occult. There has been a great deal of controversy among historians about the extent of the sacrificial and almost satanic rituals of the Druids and the Celtic culture. Some sources suggest that the Druids engaged in ritualistic child sacrifice on the night of Samhain. Several sources can be considered when looking into the extent of the occultic practices. In the poem of the Din Shihaz, firstborn sacrifices are mentioned, and it records that children were sacrificed each Samhain. Uh, here is an indirect translation of the aforementioned source. Halloween, that was the eve of Samhain. Firstborn children were sacrificed. Samhain eve was a night of dread and danger. Allegedly, the Druids would drink their victim's blood and eat their flesh. The Druids sacrificed victims by shooting them with arrows, impaling them on stakes, stabbing them, slitting their throats over cauldrons, and then drinking the blood. Please consider these rituals with a grain of salt. They are merely legends and have not been historically confirmed by accurate primary sources. Everything that we love about Halloween today has its reasons. Whether it's trick-or-treating in costumes to carving jack-o'-lanterns, we have the Celts to thank for this amazing tradition, which we will all go out and enjoy all of this week. Happy Halloween, guys. Go out and enjoy your night, and don't read too much into silly superstitions. This has been Gene Jerner for WKNC 88.1, The Revolution. Jake happened upon another awful movie not too long ago. Should you watch it? Let's find out. I have a great idea for a horror movie. It's about a clown. He keeps to himself mostly and you know doesn't really bother anyone. So one day, this rich couple whose kid has been sick in the hospital asks the clown to come and entertain at her fifth birthday party. Her parents find her room empty the next morning. What did I do to him? 
They take him out to the woods and they beat him to death. You want to be a clown? This week, Serial Insane Clown Killer, or Sick, as the movie is called. Now, this is an instance where you know they came up with the acronym after the word, and it doesn't really work. This straight-to-video gem was released in 2003, and it's your typical run-of-the-mill killer clown movie. Well, sort of. It starts off typically enough. Four attractive young people venture off to spend a fun-filled weekend at a camp deep in the backwoods of Texas. There's gossip, flirting, lots of sex, cheating, you know, the whole deal. But one by one, the attractive young people start disappearing. There's a killer clown lurking in the woods waiting to axe you in the back. Actually, it's not really a clown so much as a sweaty fat guy in a clown mask waiting to axe you. But all the same, one by one, the dim-witted victims get chopped up, beheaded, or otherwise torn apart. Now, ordinarily, this would seem scary, but the production quality of this film is woefully low. The props are little more than dummy heads from Party City, and there is never really a moment where you believe the horrific situation that the characters find themselves in. But it's not like any of the characters are particularly likable anyway. In this film, the actors seem to think that saying their lines loudly and cursing a lot would pass for decent acting. Vulgarity can be appropriate in certain situations and can be tasteful if done correctly. But throwing the F-bomb around indiscriminately half a dozen times every three minutes does not make for a good viewing experience. So rather than coming off as just lacking acting skills, the actors and characters in this film just become obnoxious, endlessly spewing their sailor talk and explicit descriptions of who slept with who the night before. Right before it cuts to a sweaty fat man getting ready to chop their door down. This is the dynamic that basically shapes the entire length of the film, and it makes for an excruciating viewing experience. Now, there is a twist at the end, which I'm not going to spoil here. Just kidding. Two of the young people are in cahoots with the clown. And that's about all there is to this film. It's just an all-around bad movie. But it lacks a charm or the naivete that some other bad films can often provide. This is just one bad flick that you can skip. We got a theory. You see, Mike. For on the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. About magic and miracles. That's right. That's right. If magic is all we've ever known, then it's easy to miss what really goes on. But I see miracles in every way. And I see miracles every day. Ocean spanning beyond my sight. And a million stars way above them at and so, DeAndre, uh, I understand you have some holidays that we should be celebrating this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. That song, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> so tonight is uh, October 30th, which is Mischief Night. Um, so this uh, this night is discouraged by law enforcement, actually. Um, but you're supposed to engage in harmless mischief like soaping windows or like tossing rotten tomatoes soaping or, windows soaping, like washing people's windows <laughs> no like <laughs> like taking soap and like rubbing it on the window because like if it's dry soap, soap scum yeah if it's yeah. dry soap it'll like i mean yeah soap scum i guess would be the essential word so i mean if you participated in these activities and you got caught by the police and they arrested you would they still arrest you if you told them that it was a holiday Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is, I don't think that's just because it's a that, holiday. That, that kind of sucks. <laughs> not, a, not a federal <laughs> holiday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the 31st, uh, which is tomorrow, is of course Halloween. So, um, what are you guys doing for Halloween? Quickly. Probably studying. Studying? Yeah. <laughs> Trick or treating? Yeah. Trick or treating, really? <laughs> DeAndre, what are you going to uh, no, dress as? No. I don't know. DeAndre? <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> So November 1st is All Saints Day. Um, this is a Christian holiday that recognizes all of the saints of the Christian church, many is of it, which were... Is the Catholic church? No. Or is it just the Christian church? I thought that was a Catholic holiday. Most uh, Catholics are bigger on saints than any other Christian denomination, yeah. so... I mean... I don't think it's, it's exclusively Catholic, yeah. but I think really? they're the I ones... I thought that was, like, a really Catholic... Celebrated. Maybe not. 
Okay. I mean, I, I, honestly, I wouldn't be the person. <laughs> well, what's, I mean, what's the story behind, you know, right after Halloween? I mean, well, um, actually there's a, there's a really funny story about that. Um, cause uh, November 2nd is all souls day, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, to celebrate the souls of friends, loved ones that have died and gone to heaven. Um, and those days were actually moved to the first and second because of the fact that, um, so much hype was getting, or so much hype was building about Halloween, which are, um, Halloween and, uh, Dia de los Muertos, which were, uh, pagan holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, the church moved All Saints Day and All Souls Day to the first and second to, uh, sort of offset that. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. because, uh, Halloween gets its name from, like, you know, All Hallows Eve, uh-huh. which yeah. actually refers to the night before All Saints Day. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What was it? Does anyone know what it was before Halloween? I, I don't know what it was called. It was probably some, Something Viking word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, All Saints Day and All Souls Day were originally in May. Wow. So, yeah, the Christian or the church just went ahead and moved Started those. to move them because they could. <laughs> okay. Um, so the November, four, November 4th is King Tut Day. King Tut Day. Um, yeah. It's so, this is celebrating not the birthday of King Tut because we don't know that. Um, it is the discovery of King Tut's tomb. He was found in the, the 30s, right? Yeah. I think 20s or 30s. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, if you don't know the story, oh, his, he was discovered on November 4th, 1922, by the way. Guys. Okay. Oh, there we go. Um, but yeah, over 3,000 ago, uh, King Tutankhamen, or Tutankhamen, however you want to say it, um, was uh, crowned the king of Egypt at the age of nine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The, the boy king is what they call him. Yeah. Died, uh, died at 19. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Wait, how old did he die? Uh, 19. 19. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. it's not really sure whether he died from uh, an innocent accident or murder. Mm. But, so, yeah, there's that. Um, November 5th, uh, remember, remember the 5th of November, uh, Guy Fawkes Day. I, again, <laughs> I don't know why people are so um, obsessed with him. I think Guy Fawkes Day has just gotten really, really popular because of a certain movie. Um, and Well, sure, and a certain internet <laughs> phenomenon, but people yeah. uh, people misunderstand what his intentions were when he tried to blow up Parliament. Yeah, when you actually like look at him, he wasn't really, I mean, he was, granted, he, you know, he was gutsy, but um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he's a terrorist. He he was he was a terrorist. Um, but I mean, he had a good reason. Did so, he really? Yeah, King James the first uh, was persecuting Catholics. Is that and a reason to blow up Parliament? Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not a very good Christian reason. Yeah. I, I guess he was defending him himself. I mean, sort of. I mean, in 1603, it might be a good reason. I mean, I don't know. It's just people people celebrate him as this yeah. anarchist and this like. <laughs> leader of, of anarchy and he was a catholic radical so i don't yeah well over time he managed to get 36 barrels of gunpowder into the basement of the parliament building that and is impressive that, that is impressive <laughs> and, he, and he got caught uh actually right as he was about to ignite them so wow all that work huh i said all that work and it didn't pay off yeah and then he was actually um he was arrested and tortured until he confessed and that's why i don't think he was that cool mm. because he confessed <laughs> under yeah, torture that, that, that definitely makes me i mean mind. Wasn't he, like, drawn and quartered after that? I mean, like, I don't think he really got off that easily. <laughs> um, ironically, this is also the day that people in England celebrate Gunpowder Day. Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they still burn him in effigy over there. They Really? Yeah, they make dummies of him and they set it on fire and stuff. Really don't like Guy Fox. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, the sixth is Marooned Without a Compass Day. Marooned Without a Compass Day. Yes. And, and that he- is... Um, Unfortunately, it is not literal. It's very figurative. It's, uh, have you lost your sense of direction in life? Oh, and do you okay. need to, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, because, like, if you're marooned, it's not a compass you need. It's a boat. Yeah, you need a boat <laughs> to get off wherever you're marooned. You can be marooned from. with a compass, and I don't think it's any better. 
So there you go. Um, and sorry to end on such a low note, but that's all we've got. Wow. Um, hopefully <laughs> none of our listeners are marooned without a compass. Um, so now let's see what's happening around NC State in this week's community calendar. Hey there, Wolfpack. Happy homecoming. All week this week, we've got Wear Red, Get Fed. Wear some red, go out to the brickyard around 11 a.m. and get some free food. That lasts until the food runs out, so get there quick. We also have the Can Food Drive Wednesday, October 31st. That's Halloween. Out on the brickyard, so bring some canned foods from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. to the brickyard to benefit our local Triangle Food Shelters. We also have the same day from 7 to 9 and then again from 9 to 11 is the Scream on the Green the original Ghostbusters is being shown outside on Harris Field. If it is raining, it will be inside in the campus cinema. On Thursday, November 1st, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., we're having the Hillsborough Street cleanup. NC students do their part to scare away the debris and trash left over from a night of Halloween festivities. Student groups are each assigned a section of the Hillsborough Street to beautify, and judges will decide who best left the street clean. Also, that same day, we have the Paint the Tunnel from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. So go out, express yourself, and show some Wolfpack pride. We have the Red and White Food and Beverage Festival. Enjoy food, beer, and wine from NC State alumni vendors such as 18 Seaboard Restaurant, Roth Brewing Company, and Dover Vineyards, just to name a few. Of course, you have to be over 21 to drink. Also on Thursday evening, we have the Pep Rally and Pack Hal concert from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. in Reynolds Coliseum. Go out and see Wally perform and support the Wolfpack. Friday, November 2nd, is the second eight-week session or the last day to withdraw or drop a course. So just have that in mind. Also, more art with art artists in the, in the Gregg Museum and the homecoming parade from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Hillsborough Street. Also, we have the Hillsborough Street Music Festival from 7 to 11 p.m. Come out and enjoy all sorts of different kinds of music. Uh, the Watch will be showing in theaters from 9.30 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. in the Witherspoon Student Cinema. Also, the movie V for Vendetta will be showing at 11.59 p.m. as well. Saturday, we have The Watch showing again from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the Student Cinema. V for Vendetta once again at 9.30 p.m. Also, the Homecoming Game is on Saturday, so be sure to attend that if you can. And the Alumni Association Homecoming Tailgate is also on Saturday from 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. And finally, on Sunday, we have The Watch showing from 7 to 9 p.m. And again, from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Where Red Get Fed, that is the last day of that. So be sure to get your food then if you haven't got it by then. We have the Together in Harmony Art Exhibit at the Greg Museum all day. And that'll be it for Community Calendar. Thanks, guys. That just about wraps up all we've got for you this week. Big thanks to Andrew Eichen, Gene Zernov, and Jasmine Shepard for their contributions this week. And just a quick note to all of our listeners, next week, Eye on the Triangle will not be airing during its regularly scheduled time. However, the Raleigh Public Record will be broadcasting live from the Morning Times in downtown Raleigh with coverage of the 2012 election results, which will continue until 9 p.m. And one final note before we go, former director and friend of the show, Nicholas Savage, turns 20 today. He's currently studying <laughs> abroad in Finland, but if you're listening right now, happy birthday from the Eye on the Triangle team. I love you, Nick. And from all of us here at Eye on the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything just made you think let us know on our facebook page you can also follow us on twitter at wknc underscore eot have a happy and safe halloween good night